All right, 1 Samuel chapter 23. We got halfway through the chapter, I guess it was two weeks ago, and tonight we're going to look at the remainder of the verses in, in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, what a blessing it's been to, to kind of walk through David's life. And, you know, he, we, if you've been in Christianity at all for a while, you know that David was known as a man after God's own heart. And uh, we have to come to realize quickly he wasn't born that way. He was made that way. And he was made that way through all of the trials, all of the ups, and all of the downs that he went through in his life. And he became a man after God's own heart. It wasn't like he just came out that way. And we've seen in his life there's been a series of ups and downs. There's been some really good parts and there's been some really bad parts. And the good has been good and the bad has been really bad. All the way back to when he was young as a shepherd, we read and we read that he had overcome wild animals and he had many hours to spend and just sit and listen and meditate on the things of God. And it was all those things in that time that helped develop his, his thoughts about God and, and creation and things like that. And as a young man, he became anointed as the king of Israel at a very early age. Uh, although he didn't take the throne yet, he knew that was coming. And remember, when he was being anointed, he was scared. They couldn't even find him. He was hiding among the equipment, the scripture tells us. So that was an up and then a down. And then next thing we read about David is he, he beat Goliath. The story of David and Goliath, it's one of the most popular Bible stories. He, he beat Goliath, defeated Goliath, killed Goliath. He went on to have many victories over the Philistines. And we saw that they even wrote a song after him. The women would come out singing, Saul had slain his thousands, David had slain his tens of thousands. Well, Saul didn't like that, being king of Israel. He didn't like the fact that David was being, uh, was, was given, give, given credit for slaying tens of thousands, and he only had slain thousands, and he, he became jealous of that. And we read, we read in the scriptures that Saul actually, on a couple of attempts, tried to take his life, threw a spear at him. As, as David was playing the harp for Saul to try to calm his heart and calm his mind, Saul got angry and threw a spear at David. But we also read that David developed a wonderful friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan. They became the best of friends, and we see that in the scriptures and as, as a result of Saul becoming angry at David, David finds himself on the run. And if he went from living in a comfortable palace to being on the run in the wilderness. But we talked about that and we've seen it as even in the Psalms, as we've compared the Psalms to as, you know, where David is in life and as he writes the Psalms, we've seen what an impression and how he has grown through the good times in life, but also through the difficult times in life. And that's the same thing for us. You know, we go, we, our life is a series of ups and downs, and there's good times and bad times. And, you know, we'd like it to be all good times, but the reality is that's just not the way it is. When you look back over 2015, you have good and you have bad. And unfortunately, I can't have to break the bad news. That's what's coming in 2016. Hopefully the good will be really good, and hopefully the bad won't be very bad. But the reality is, as life brings us the ups and downs, and we can grow through all of them. It's an opportunity for us to grow closer to the Lord. And tonight we pick up with David having just experienced another victory over the Philistines, but then he was immediately betrayed by the people of the city he was defending. Right after he, the Philistines had come down to attack, David and his men came and defended him because it was the harvest season. And right after they said, come on in, David, you can move in with us. You'll be safe here. They, they betrayed him. They went and told King Saul, hey, David's here. And he took off again, and he finds himself living alone in the wilderness. Well, not alone. He had his men with him. By this time, it was about 600 men that had grown. But even the men that came to him, they were the ones that were in debt. They were the ones with the problems. And we talked about how he began pouring into their life, and he taught them the fear of God. He taught them to fear God. And so tonight, as we pick up in verse 14, it says, And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness, and he remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hands. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, 
and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Ziph was a town below the southern tip of the Dead Sea, it was, and it, it, the landscape was dramatically varied there. Uh, it wasn't a comfortable or an easy place to live. And you can understand, I, I picture and I would imagine that by this point in his life, David is probably a little frustrated. God, you said I was going to be king of Israel, and here I am, another high, and then I'm right back down into another low. You ever felt that? You ever been in your life where it seems that you, you're, you're just making ground, God's doing something, you're here, you're coming up high, and all of a sudden something happens and it brings you back down low again? Well, that's where David's at. It brings him back down low. And although God was guiding and although God was protecting David through this, and although David was growing through this difficult season, it doesn't mean that it was easy. And we have to understand that because sometimes in Christianity, we've been told that, oh, just believe in Jesus and everything will be great, everything will be easy. Is that true? Not, not at all. David's going through a hard time in his life. He's going through a rough time. He's holding on to the promise of God, but, in, but he's also running from a physical enemy. Notice what it says. Saul sought him every day, every day, but God did not deliver him into his hands. David is being pursued by the entire army of the Israelites, and he's running day after day. How long till David gets tired of this? How long till he throws up his hands? How long till, how long till he just quits? I'm tired of running. But day after, it's like, you ever see the movie Groundhog Day? That's what it's like. David is just day after day after day, he's being pursued by his enemy. Saul had become so consumed with killing David, he would do anything to find him. He was doing anything. The entire army of Israel was going after David. But the beautiful thing is man's plans will not succeed when they are in direct opposition to God's plans. Although it was Saul's plan to destroy David, that wasn't God's plan. What was God's plan? God was going to make David king of Israel. And all of this was preparation for what he would become. No different than everything that we go through, both the good and the bad is preparation in our lives as well. Because sometimes life can be difficult and we want to look and say, God, why are you doing this to me? Why is this such season so hard? Why did this just happen to me? Why did this just happen to my family? But as followers of Christ, we can say, Lord, I, I don't know why. I don't need to know why. But if I know who is allowing this, then I can trust that it's for my good. It's something that's going to work good for me, whatever that might be. So David sought him, or Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. God's had a plan for David to be king of Israel no matter how much Saul wanted him dead. It just wasn't going to happen. The problem is David is living this. You see, it's easy for us to look back and go, David, it's okay. We know you're going to be king of Israel. We know you're going to be a great king of Israel. We know you'll make some mistakes along the way, but you're going to be famous. You're going to be written about in the Bible. We're going to be reading about you 2,000 years later. But David doesn't know that. You see, at this point in David's life, he hasn't read 1 Samuel. He was still in the process of living it. So it's a difficult season for him. It's hard for him. And as the enemy chases, as the enemy closes in, I can only imagine that frustration would begin to build against David. And we see that in his writing in the Psalms. Now, here's what I want you guys to know. That we have an enemy, I have an enemy, you have an enemy chasing us every day of our life. Do you know that? There's an enemy chasing you every day of your life. While it might not be a physical or a literal enemy, somebody is trying to kill you, the Bible is very clear. We have a spiritual enemy who pursues us every single day. James chapter, or 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's in David's darkest times, it's in his hardest times where he's also growing the most. 
It's, when the, it's the difficult seasons where the growth happens. There's nothing better than in a difficult season, in a dark season, to have a friend come alongside of you. And that's exactly what happens with David. Look at verse 16. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. As I said before, Jonathan and David had a close friendship. And I wanted you to see what a good friend does. You see, Jonathan, David's close friend, his good friend, he had to risk a lot to come out there, right? He had to risk a lot. He had to leave his father's house. He had to leave the Israelite army and then go meet with David, which shows that they knew where he, he knew where he was. He was able to meet. He was able to get through David's, the men that were with David to actually meet with them. David's in this difficult place. He's being pursued. But I want you to notice what a good friend does because I think this is important. Because we need to not only see that we have a good friend, we also need to make sure that we are a good friend to people. And I want you to see what, what, David, or what Jonathan does. Look at the first thing Jonathan does. It says, he arose and he went to David. He got up and he went to David. He didn't call him. He didn't text him. He didn't Facebook him. He didn't send a messenger to him. He didn't communicate with any means they had. He actually got up. He took the risk and he went to meet with David face to face. You see, sometimes I think as friends, we fall short of that. We might pick up the phone and call. We might pick up the phone in today's society and text or send a message on Facebook or, or you know, send a, 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 note, a Twitter to somebody. We may, we may do those contacts. You know, maybe we'd send a letter to somebody, even if we're still writing letters. But David didn't do that. He took the time to actually move himself, physically pick himself up, move himself from one place to the next in spite of the danger. Don't you think as a friend that's struggling it means something more when somebody actually comes to where you're at? where they meet you where you're at, where it's not just a phone call, where they come and they sit down and say, I know it's hard, and they sit with you. And you can give them a hug, or they can give you a hug, or you can actually talk with them. It's so much more personal when you're face-to-face with somebody than when you're communicating in one of the many ways that we have available to us today. But, Dave, but Jonathan, being the true friend, he arose and he went to David. That's one thing he did. The second thing he did is also very important. It says he strengthened his hand in God. He strengthened his hand in God. What does that mean? It means Jonathan encouraged David in the things of the Lord. He strengthened David's things. He, he's, he, he's reminding David of what God has said to him. David, God told you you'd be king. I know you're down. I know it's hard. But God told you you're going to be king. And it's going to be great, David. When you're going to be king, I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to be there with you. And look what he says to him. He says, do not fear. Don't fear, David. That would seem kind of ludicrous. You'd think that David would say, well, your dad's chased me with the whole army trying to kill me. Of course I'm in fear. But Jonathan, being the good friend, says, David, don't fear. He strengthens him in the things of God. Well, why shouldn't I fear, David? David could reject fear because God would ultimately protect him. God would be the one protecting David. How do we know that? Because David's promise to God was the, or, or God's promise to David was the throne of Israel. And God's promises cannot be broken. So David is going to take the throne of Israel. We can be guaranteed on that. David could reject the fear because God's promises would come to pass. You're going to be king over Israel. David could reject the fear because he had, he had loyal friends like Jonathan. You ever been scared? You ever been in fearful of a situation that's coming your way? You ever been afraid of something and all of a sudden a loyal friend comes alongside of you? 
They come, they meet with you, and they spend time with you. And they don't, listen, if you're that friend that comes alongside of somebody, we just don't want to hear it's okay. We want to be strengthened in the things of the Lord. We need to strengthen, we need to strengthen each other as believers in the scriptures. What do God's promises say? What does the Bible say to us? It's not just about, you know, showing up. That's great that you're there. That's part of it. But the other thing that we have to do is we have to be encouraging to one another in the things of God. We have to remind each other. Remember, God said, you know, three months ago, you told me God was working in your life this way. You know that he's not done. Sometimes we have to remind each other. This is why we tell things. This is why we tell other people what God's doing in our lives. So when we begin to deviate from that plan, a good friend can come alongside and say, hey, remember what God said? David, God said you're going to be king of Israel. God said you're going to be king, David. Remember that. And I'm going to be right there with you because that's our plan. I'm going to be right there with you. Because of their great friendship, David and Jonathan looked forward to the day when David would be king and Jonathan would support him and help him. But it would never come to pass. That day would never come to pass. David would be king, but Jonathan would never stand beside him because this was the last time they would meet. This would be their last meeting before, David, before Jonathan would be killed, before David actually became the king of Israel. So when they say goodbye this time, it's the last time they'll see each other. But before separating, they make a covenant. Or they, they, it says here they make a covenant. David's, so Jonathan, two of them made a covenant in verse 18 before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Most people believe that they're just renewing a previous covenant of friendship, their loyalty to one another as friends. They make this covenant. This is really interesting to me because I think this is something that we need to consider. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves difficult questions. And we have to ask ourselves, are we that kind of friend? Now, you can't be that kind of friend to everybody. I understand that. But do you have people in your life that you're willing to get up and go to when, this, when it's difficult? And are you, are you the type of person who just gives them worldly counsel? Give, tells them what Oprah would say? Or do you give them biblical counsel? Because sometimes biblical counsel can be hard. It can be hard to hear when someone's been wronged and you have to tell them to forgive. They don't want to forgive, but you have to remind them of the biblical truth that goes along with forgiveness. If you want to be forgiven, then you need to forgive. You see, we need to be people that counsel each other biblically. That's what Jonathan was doing to David. So we need to be friends like that. Are we that type of friend? And the second thing is, do we have friends like that? Do you have friends like that? Well, Rob, what if I, what if I don't have any friends like that? What if I really don't know well, then you need to be that type of friend. In order to have that type of friend, you need to be that type of friend because it works both ways. If you don't have it, the chances are you're not being it. If you're being it, you're going to have it. It's going to work hand in hand because the Proverbs would tell us in order to have friends, you have to be a friend. You can't just be a friend for selfish reasons. What a blessing it is to have a friend come alongside of you in a difficult season, in a difficult time in your life. And if, you've, if, it, if it gets really tough, there's only certain people you want to see, Right? If the, if the season, if the burden gets really heavy, it gets really hard, you don't want to just see anybody. You don't want to see fake friends. You don't want to just see, tell people, oh, it's going to be okay. You want to see that special friend, that, that, that person that you're close to, that person that you're, like Dave and Jonathan, your hearts are knit together where you can tell them what's going on, what you're feeling, where you're not going to be judged, and where they can tell you the same thing. You see, I think sometimes we fall short of being that type of friend. And when it, we look at the scripture, we need to see what Jonathan does. And he arises, he goes to David, he puts David first. Remember, remember that Jonathan should be in line for the throne. Jonathan was Saul's son. But Jonathan yielded to what God's plan was. As opposed to him, he, he could be bitter, couldn't he? He could be miserable. I'm the one that's supposed to be the next king, not David. But instead, he yields to what God's plan was. And as he comes alongside of David, he's willing to take a back seat 
to his friend. And God is, seems to be, and God is elevating David's position above Jonathan's, although it doesn't seem like it at the moment. And Jonathan says, I'm okay with that. Because God's plan is more important than Jonathan's plan. And he comes alongside of him that way. Verse 19. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Helica, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desires of your soul to come, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. For every faithful Jonathan, there's always somebody out there willing to betray you. Did you see what happened? David's hiding among the Ziphites, and what do they do? They go to King Saul. Hey, King Saul, we know where David's at. We'll tell you where he's at. Betrayal, again, he's being betrayed. It's mind-blowing to me what people will do to gain favor with somebody in power. That's what it's all about. Saul is king. They want to gain favor with him, so they're going to tell him what's where, what, where David is. That's what he's looking for. They never stop to realize, they never stop to consider that the one they're betraying just might be the one that will be in power over them someday. You ever have it, ever have it at work? Somebody steps on you to get up. You ever met one of those people? They're going to step all over you to get to the top, never realizing that someday you might be their boss. Never putting it together. But they look at the boss and they want, to, they want to be that kind of person that's just right there with the boss and I want to get the special favors and I want to do that and they'll step all over you. They'll point fingers at you and they'll, they'll put you down for the work that you're doing. Never realizing that, you know what? That person I'm putting down just might be my boss someday. And what's it boil down to? It's selfishness. They're not concerned about anybody else around them. They're concerned about themselves. They want to make themselves look good. Do you see what's taking place? David will be king. Yet they're betraying him right to his face. They're betraying him there. The moral of that story is don't step on somebody else to get what you want because someday they just might be your boss. Maybe they'd be your church leader. Maybe they'll be your king like David in that situation. David is going to be the, the ruler over them. And it always bugs me because you always know who they are, don't you? You always know who the people at work are that will just step all over. You can tell. You can see them coming. You can see them coming. They're going to do it just to get what they want. Never realizing that the people they're stepping on they might need the next day, but we need to make sure that we're not that person. As Christians, we need to make sure we're not using people to get what we want. We're not stepping on people to climb the corporate ladder, not stepping on the people to impress somebody in power so that we can get special favors because it works true the other way. The people we step on might just be the ones that we find ourselves under one day, and they're going to know that we stepped all over them in an attempt to get where we wanted to go, and now we have to work for them or we have to leave. Really what it boils down to, it's a pride issue of the heart. It's not thinking of other people, it's thinking of ourselves and be willing to do anything to get what we want. And look at Saul's response. They come to him and they say, Saul, we'll tell you where he's at, we know where he's at. And look at Saul says, blessed are you of the Lord. So spiritually he's acting. For you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure. And see the place where his hideout is. And who has seen him there. For I am told he's very crafty. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides. And come back to me with certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. King Saul is so spiritually warped at this point that he says to, his betrayer, says to the betrayers of an innocent man, Blessed are you of the Lord. Think about that. Has David done anything wrong to King Saul? Not at all. He's always stood for him. He's always been behind him, always supported him. 
But yet here, because these men are betraying David, he's now calling them blessed of the Lord. Blessed of the Lord. And then notice what Saul says. I'm told, I heard, I heard he's real crafty. He's a real crafty little guy. You better, better be careful with him. He's crafty. It wasn't David's craftiness that was keeping him from Saul's clutches. It was the goodness and faithfulness of the Lord because the Lord had work for him to do. The Lord was protecting him from the enemy. Saul refused to believe that. There's a lesson for us in that. Who do we have to fear if we're serving God? Nobody. Do we have to fear Satan, although he might be an attacker? Do we have to fear him? No. Do we have to, if, if I'm serving the Lord and I'm doing what the Lord calls me to do, should I worry about what the guy next to me is doing? Should I worry about what the church down the street is doing? Should I, should I be concerned that another church has more people or less people? Or should, it, should, I, or should I just focus on what the Lord calls me to do? I need to focus on what God calls me to do and not worry about what everybody else is doing around me. There's a true story there. But at the same time, here's David again getting lower and lower. At this time in his life, David expressed his feelings to the Lord in a song. He wrote a psalm. And that psalm is Psalm 54. And I want to turn there. So turn to Psalm 54. If you study the life of David, you will find the psalms that he writes have whole new meanings. If you don't really have an interest in reading the psalms, if you, they really don't make sense to you, you can't understand them, the chances are you haven't studied the life of David. You don't really know when David's writing this. At Psalm 54, at the very beginning, it says this, To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David, when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, Is David not hiding with us? So this is, this is beautiful because here we see this situation in David's life where he's being betrayed and how does it make him feel, he tells us. Look at verse 1. Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth for strangers have risen up against me and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble. And, upon my, and, and my eye has seen his desire upon my enemies. In Psalm 54, verse 1, David calls out to the Lord for help. He's help. He's at a low place in his life. He's, he's, again, he's on the run day after day. He's, he's been betrayed again. He says, Lord, save me. Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. In other words, he's crying out, God, would you take care of this? I can't handle this, Lord. Would you, would you take care of my reputation? Would you take care of my life? Would you do this, Lord, for me? Notice David understands who his enemies are. He understands there are people that he doesn't even know. He realizes, Lord, save me, help me from my, vindicate me. Then in verse 3, he says this, For strangers have risen up against me. Oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Lord, these are my enemies. They're coming after me. And the reason they're coming after me is they're not interested in your will, Lord. They're interested in their own desires, the desires of their heart. They're following the orders of King Saul. These are who's coming after me. And then in verse 4, he expresses his confidence in the Lord. He says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He's expressing the confidence, his belief in the Lord. God, you're my helper. You're with me, Lord. You're, you're upholding my life. And then in verse 6, David let go of the bitterness and the fear, and he begins to praise the Lord instead. 
He says, I'll sacrifice to you. I'll praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. You see, David's going through a process here in this prayer. As he's, as he's crying out to God, it starts out with, God, I'm in trouble. I need help. God, I know who my enemies are. And then all of a sudden we see that, you know, and we can express with that, he's, he's, he, there's, there's got to be a little bit of bitterness. There's got to be a little bit, of, we, we know that he's afraid because he told Jonathan about it. We know there's this fear going on. As he gets past this bitterness and gets past the fear, he begins to praise the Lord. That's great. He hasn't been delivered yet, but yet he's praising in the midst of his difficult situation. Can you do that? Can you praise God in the midst of a, of a difficult situation, of a hard time? Can you still give God glory? He's still deserving of our praise. He's still deserving of our worship. But sometimes we think that our outward circumstances somehow put us in a position where we don't feel like praising God. God, I don't feel like singing tonight. I'm kind of cranky. God, I had a bad day. I don't really feel like praising you tonight. I really don't want to sing those songs tonight. I really don't want to give you praise. I don't even want to listen to this Bible study. I wish this guy would just stop talking already. It's New Year's Eve. Come on, let's go. Or do we really understand that God wants to speak to us through his word? Do we really understand that he deserves our praise whether we want to give it or not? He's worthy to be praised whether we acknowledge that or not. And David realizes this and he says, as he lets go of the bitterness and the fear, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. His situation is bad, but he recognizes the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Now he's looking at God. First he was looking at his enemies, and they're supposed to be friends of his, but now he sees them through God. He sees, he sees looking at God. He takes his focus off of his situation. He takes his focus off of those people that are pursuing him. He takes his focus off of all the things around him, and he puts his focus on the Lord. That's where praise happens. That's where it starts. You know, I've watched a number of Christians walk through difficult circumstances. Most recently was, uh, was Dave. Dave Jones, as he went to be with the Lord last week. And what moved my heart at the funeral, at the memorial service, was he had people from 30 years ago stand up and talking about what his life was like 30 years ago. And the life that he lived 30, 40 years before was the same life that he was living the week before he passed away. He never stopped praising God. And it really, as I thought about that, you know, over the, after, even after the service into the next week and even up leading up to this, I thought, man, what a testimony to have somebody from your life come back and say, I knew him 30, 40, 50 years ago, and they're the same. They were praising God then, and they're still praising God. Because I said it at the memorial service, I wouldn't want somebody to come testify about my life 30 years ago. Because you'd probably look up and go, well, you probably shouldn't even be a pastor. But the Lord saved me, and the Lord redeemed me, and the Lord set me apart and prepared me for the work. And as David does this, as he begins to praise God, in order to do that, he has to take his eyes off of his circumstance. He has to take his eyes off of the situation that he's in, which is being pursued by King Saul, a life or death situation, and he has to focus his eyes on the Lord. Dave Jones did the same thing. He took his eyes off of the cancer, he took his eyes off of the pain, and he put them on the Lord, and he died praising God. He died with a heart that praises God. I'm, I'm, I'm moved by that. But the amazing thing is he's not the only one. It's not like he's, that, that's normal among Christians. That's, that's a normal thing for a, for a follower of Christ to be able to do. As we grow and we mature, we realize, you know what, it's not about us. I'm not here for my pleasure. I'm not here so that I can be happy. Life doesn't exist. It's not about me. It's, there's, there's more to it than that. What a, what a picture. He's looking at God. First he was looking at his enemies then he's looking at these King Saul and these alleged friends of his, but now he sees them through God. If you begin with God, your enemies grow small. And if you begin with 
your enemy, you may never reach God. That was Alan Redpath that said that. He said, if you begin with God, your enemy will grow small. But if you begin with your enemy, you may never reach God. Saul is focusing and he's consumed with David instead of God. He thought David was the enemy. He was so warped and so twisted in his mind, he thought David was the one that was coming after him. His pride, his jealousy had caused him to leave his responsibilities as king, forgetting about the Philistines and what he should be defending the nation of Israel, and instead he's chasing one man. Literally, it's pride and it's jealousy that he's doing that. David is focusing on his circumstances, and he gets his eyes off of his circumstances, and he begins to praise God. Jonathan just comes alongside of his friend. He's there, picks up and he moves, and he comes and gives him some encouragement. Listen, to come to the place where David was praising God, David had to take his eyes off of his enemies, off of his circumstances, and put his eyes back on God. How many of us so often can get so focused on how we've been wronged, what's going on in our life, this problem, that problem, this worry, that concern, I don't have money for this, I can't do that, I'm sick, we can focus on all these things. But when it all boils down to it, really, where does our focus need to be? On God. Not on our health, not on our financial situation, not on our job situation, not on our marital situation, not on all of those things. These are all secondary. If our focus is taken off of God and put on these things, it's going to make us miserable. We're not seeing things in the proper perspective. We're going to be bitter. We're going to be scared. We're going to have all these emotions rising up in us that we don't know how to deal with. And the reason we can't deal with them is because we're not looking at God. Because God is much bigger than any of those things. And he wants to meet us right where we're at. Because as good of a friend as Jonathan was, God's better. God's closer. God will never leave us or forsake us. God will meet us right where we're at in those difficult circumstances. Look at verse 24. So they arose and they went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain of the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David... Therefore, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul. For Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. Things got worse for David. Just when you don't think it'll get any worse, what happens? Now all of a sudden Saul finds out where he's at. David, David gets tipped off. Saul's on the way. He flees. They told Saul where David was. And now he's being encircled by them. I just picture him going around a circle. You know, one on one side, they just keep doing this. But really what was taking place is they were about to capture David. They were, they were pinning him in. They were, they were holding him down. They had him, they had him locked into a certain location. And just when you think that this would be the end, oh no, it's going to be the end of David. And I'm sure David thought that as well. What am I going to do? i got to get out of here. i got to get out of here. But God intervenes. Look at verse 27. But a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and he dwelt in the strongholds in En Gedi. Out of the blue... The Philistines attacked. Really? You think it was coincidence? Or do you think that was God's plan to protect David? It was God's plan to protect David. Out of the blue they attacked? No. It's heavenly plan. It's God's plan. A messenger comes to Saul and says, Hey Saul, you got to go. The Philistines are attacking. Why are the Philistines attacking? Because Saul wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He's He's off chasing David. So here comes the Philistines attacking. The hand of God was so evident that David and his men made a memorial of that spot. 
They called the place the rock of escape because they realized the miracle that had taken place. They realized at any moment, at any moment, they were getting ready to be captured and all of a sudden, there's nobody around the mountain anymore. Those men, now now think about it. David hasn't read this. He's living it. So here he is on the mountain, his men, he sees the troops of Israel, he sees Saul closing in, he knows they're close by, he's trying to get out of there, and all of a sudden they all leave. That's pretty cool. They realized it was a miracle of God. So they called it, they called the place the rock of escape. He wouldn't find out till when, how much later, what actually happened. He just knows that he's looking at it, he's probably going, Lord, you know, you're waiting, you know, I really wish you wouldn't wait till the last minute, God, because that's what God does, right? He waits till there's no possible escape, no other way, no more, there's nothing that you can do. You're stuck there. And he goes, all right, now I'll take care of it. Why does he do it that way? Because he wants the glory. He wants you to say it was a miracle. He wants you to recognize God's sovereign hand in what he's doing. That's why the men began to flee. That's why they began to go. That's why they built this spot. They called it the rock of escape. This evening, we looked at three important things, and we'll close with these three thoughts. The difficult times in our life are necessary to make us the men and women that God can use. Expect them. They're coming. They're necessary. They're the places that we see David growing. They're the same places that we're going to grow closer to the Lord. The good times are necessary. The the great times, the, the great accomplishments, those are necessary too. But we need to learn to praise God in the good, in the bad, in the hard, in the easy, in the difficult times, as well as the plentiful times. We need to give glory to God. We also see that good friends will meet us where we are and they'll encourage us with the things of the Lord. Take note, next time a friend gives you counsel, where are they counseling you from? Are they talking about the things of Scripture? Are they just giving you their opinion? Are they they drawing you to seek, are they they encouraging you to seek God, pray about that? Have you prayed about that? Have you really, you know, have you read the Word? How much much time have you spent praying about that? Or is it just a friend that will just kind of say, hey, you know, just I think you should do this. We don't really need, you don't really need my opinion on something. My opinion might be good or it might be bad. What you want is what's God's plan. Opinions aren't, the, aren't, aren't we wanna, what we want to follow in life. It's, what, it's God's plan that we want to follow. And the last thing we looked at or we learned is we, we can't praise God in a difficult situation if our eyes are on our situation and not on our God. We have to take our eyes off of our situation. If a situation and, and if, if there's something that's consuming you other than the Lord and you're focusing on it, you're thinking about it, you're bitter about it, you're angry about it, that's where your eyes are. And you've got to get them off of your situation, off of whatever it is that's consuming you, whatever it is that's driving you, whatever that's making you feel the way that you're feeling, and you've got to put them on the Lord. And when you do that and you begin to respond to his will, you'll be amazed at how much bigger he looks and how small that situation really is. You go, oh, that wasn't so bad. I made it through it okay. And you'll be able to see what he's doing. And you'll be able to show that he is doing something. And it was necessary for your growth. And it might, might not be fun and it might be hard, but it's necessary for us. It's us putting our faith in the Lord. Saying, Lord, I understand you're sovereign. And I understand you've got my back. And when you lead me in this life, I will follow even if the road's a little bumpy. That's what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can study the life of David and Lord, in just these few verses, we see so much rich wisdom out of there from how to be a friend. Lord, as we look at David and Jonathan's relationship, we learn tonight that we need to be the type of friend that Jonathan was. And we also see that David in his circumstances, Lord, we can't even fathom what it's like to have our life pursued day after day. Day after day, the same thing. Someone trying to literally kill us, Father. 
It'd be easy to give up, but David didn't do that. He held on to your promises, and he took his eyes, and he put them on you, and he began to praise you. We read that in Psalm 54. So he freely sacrificed you, freely praise your name, for the Lord is good. He's delivered me out of all trouble. Father, would you deliver us as well? Lord, as we come into 2016, may it be a year that we give to you. May we make the commitment and follow through with it to seek you, Lord, and follow your desires for our life, your desires for our relationships, your desires for our jobs, for the places that we live, all the things that we think that you, you don't care about. May we, may we realize that's not true, that you do care about those things. And Father, may we be people who serve you and rightly represent you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.